You're now listening to The Sound of Sanity. This sound will continue for the duration of the program. Welcome to the Sound of Sanity. Uh, my name is Nathan Alverson. <laughs> and we've got, I'll go in reverse order today. We've got engineer, beloved, Solzer, J. Benjamin. Will doing I am Nathan. <laughs> Jake, introduce, let's. Oh, uh, everything of master, pastor, the mensal, Jacob, is this. How you doing, Jake? I am debating whether or not I want to go to sleep or cut my ears off. <laughs> <laughs> we're having fun already, folks. Oh, boy. And we're going to have even more fun. Jake's not going to go to sleep. He's not going to cut, cut his ears off. No one else is going to go to sleep or cut Jake's ears off. We are going to talk about a subject that might be akin to cutting one's own ears off. We're going to talk about... Uh, <laughs> A certain movie. So today what we're going to do, we're going to talk about a movie. Now, this is not one of our famed movie episodes where we have gone and seen a movie and we're going to talk about it. This is not sanity at the movies, but we want to talk about the existence of a movie, which we have not seen and will not see because there is an interesting story to go with this movie. And the problem is I don't want to tell you the title of the movie because it makes me sick to my stomach to even think about what the movie is called. So I'm going to make Ben do that. All right, I'll be, you know, I don't think that I will say the title of the movie either. So it's a movie about a person. Yes, tell us about this person. A woman who was transitioning to be a man, I think. Is that right? Not transitioning in the sense of taking pills or having gender reassignment surgery, but a transgender what they call a transgender man, which is a woman pretending to be a man. Right, okay, there we go. So from the perspective of reality, this was a woman who was pretending to be a man. The filmmakers would say this was a transgender man, I guess is how they would put it. Right, okay. I'm still getting used to some of this terminology, honestly. Dante Gill, she, like, opened massage parlors in the 70s and 80s that were fronts for prostitution dens. It's kind of like a gangster. You know, someone needs to make a movie about her and her life to kind of inspire us, I guess, with what we can do if we imagine that we can rebel against the sex we have. And so just to be clear, she, awesome or as they, would, as they would say, he, yeah, he was a transgender pioneer of some transgender type pioneer, and this is a bi- bi- gangster, transgender gangster this is a biopic about her life right and scarlett johansson was cast to play her and sometimes hollywood likes to take really beautiful actresses and make them really ugly and degraded for certain roles they did that with Charlize theron and monster yes ago. i remember that she won the oscar for that right i remember seeing a trailer and thinking wow that looks intensely disgusting and i'm happy i don't ever have to see that and i feel the same way just reading about this movie which again i'm not going to read the title because it's even the title is disgusting but there was a, a huge outcry from the transgender community so-called community about Johansson's casting. I bet that you, dear listener, can guess what the outcry was. It was that 
hey, you can't let a cisgender person, that is, if you're not familiar, cisgender means that you identify with the sex you were born with. In other words, cisgender means you're not an active rebellion against your sex, at least not in that sense. So um, you're, you're going to cast a cisgender woman to play a transsexual, and there are transsexual actors and actresses or whatever pronoun or gender you... You, you used to describe them and they should have this role and this is this is terrible so there was a giant backlash Johansson defended herself at first but then she backed down and she said oh I'm so glad that we that I got to learn from about more about diversity from this backlash and from being cast and then realizing it was a bad idea and I'm sure we can all move forward with sensitivity and inclusivity and whatever I'm just paraphrasing Johansson here but you get the idea that was what she did poor Scarjo that's two marks against her she had that whitewashing scandal with Ghost in the Shell where she oh, was playing man. the character that was originally animated to be vaguely Asian, I guess, right, and then right. she was going to play the character, and she did, and nobody liked that, and nobody yeah. saw it, and I didn't see it. Yeah, and uh, I, I didn't see it either, but I'm sure our listeners were scandalized that she would do something so whitewashing, mm-hmm. and they're probably scandalized that she would do something so transwashing. I don't know what to say about this, but <laughs> anyway, so How it's... dare they cast her? How dare she accept a role where she's playing a woman yeah. who's pretending to be a man? How That's dare right. they cast a woman... Right. In the role of a woman yes. pretending to be a man. It's, yeah, what they should have done outrageous. is cast a woman who's pretending to be a man in the role of a woman who's pretending to be right. a man instead of right. a w- woman in the role of a woman who's pretending to be a man. So even talking about this is kind of degrading. Well, it's confusing, for one thing. It is I mean, confusing. Before, you, before, before we even get to gross, let's stop at confusing. You, you get mixed up over which pronoun you're supposed to use and what, which one's the godly pronoun and which one's the worldly pronoun. I mean, it's, it's hard to even properly communicate to our audience what this story is because half of what Ben will read in any given article will be lies about who Dante Gill was. Anyway... Oh hey, I, I want to bring up something yes. that I just think is because we, you know, we like uh, like we like for for there to be villain agencies in movies, villain mm-hmm. organizations with acronym names mm-hmm. that are very sinister, like Spectre. Spectre, that's great. Well, the the Gay and Lesbian Alliance Against Def- Defamation is Glad with two A's. Glad, <laughs> glad. The sinister forces of Glad, and they were the ones who raised the hue and cry. I think it's it's pretty great. Well, you know what I think is great is going to our pals. First of all, that transition that I just had. Transition? You didn't watch it there. <laughs> no, no, no. I mean, the transition into my next statement, <laughs> which has now been derailed, but I thought it was pretty great. The good kind of Christian transition okay, that right. one uses from to go from one part of the show into a different part of the show, okay. namely the part that I'm about to introduce, which is we're going to check in with our good friends, the He-Manologians. Jake, tell us about the He-Manologians. The He-Manologians are the most manly of manly podcasters in Sanityville. They They call themselves the pastors of the universe. They are some very manly Christian dudes, and we are going to check in with them right now. What you got to ask yourself is just one question. Do I feel lucky? And then when they do the next thing, I also do a thing. It wasn't because he was evil. It's because he's human. It's kind of oddly specific, isn't it? I'm afraid his deflector shields will be quite operational when his friends arrive. You gotta keep those feminists in line. That's what our country needs. Right, boys? Arr! Here I am, Nathan. Ready to go. That was hardcore, y'all. Hey, what's up? We're the He-Manologians. I'm AJ, and this is BJ. Booyah! And this is CJ. 
Hey, what do you guys think about this new movie about the, uh, like, uh, transgender man? Fantastic Beasts and Where to Find Them. Uh, The Crimes of Grindelwald. No, no, I'm not talking about Johnny Depp. I'm talking about the one that was gonna have, like, ScarJo. I have a cool scar. It's from when I was in battle with the Yakuza. BJ, ScarJo is not that kind of scar. She's beautiful. What? Scar who? BJ doesn't know who ScarJo is. What? Yes, I do. Just tell me who she is. You're embarrassing the Hemanologians right now. This is a sad day for us all. What is this? The Shemanologians? I wish I could curl up in the Yakuza's belly and die right now. I hope it's manly for me to be telling you guys the way I really feel. Not as manly as knowing who ScarJo is. Yeah. ScarJo is like a super smoking, beautiful movie star. Yeah. She's kind of like StarJo. <laughs> yeah. That was totally awesome, CJ. Yeah. Yeah, it was. Whatever. Just... Tell me who ScarJo is. ScarJo is like the civilian name of the Black Widow, one of the most beautiful secret agents on the planet. What? How was I supposed to know the Black Widow's civilian identity? Why didn't you just say Black Widow? She doesn't go by Black Widow when she appears in non-Avengers documentaries. What? Why? Is she ashamed of her identity or something? Yo, AJ. BJ's really failed today. Yeah, totally. Just answer my question! Maybe she's not comfortable with her identity. Maybe she feels like she's trapped inside it sometimes. I know just who I am. I'm like the Hulk, trapped inside a more manly version of another Hulk. Yeah, and I'm like the Green Hulk, trapped inside the Red Hulk, trapped inside the Grey Hulk. Hey, that reminds me about that transgender movie I started telling you guys about. ScarJo was, like, gonna play a woman who, like, feels trapped inside the wrong body because she wants to be, like, who she's not. So sometimes she becomes just, like, a dude instead. Yeah, ScarJo is gonna be really hot at the, in that role. Bro, like, it doesn't matter anymore. She's not gonna play this dude in this transgender movie. Why not? She would be so hot in that role. Because the transgenderized, they just got, like, really angry. Sometimes I feel like I'm... BJ's feelings, trapped inside BJ, and I can't get out. Sometimes I feel like I'm Batman, trapped inside Batman's body. That's right, I'm Batman. Hey, speaking of Batman, we should totally watch a good movie. Booyah! What should we watch? Obviously a movie about somebody strong like us. Yeah, somebody like the Hulk. The cool thing about the Hulk is, like, he doesn't need a super suit. Yeah, Hulk doesn't need a super suit. He just runs around in his underwear. I do everything in my underwear, like the Hulk. I know a movie checks off everything on the list, like it has someone who's strong, and they run around in their underwear. What is it, AJ? It's Wonder Woman. What? But that's not manly. We can't watch that. But BJ, it's not Wonder Woman's fault. Like, if there was a real man with her, he would have fought the Nazis instead. But she has Chris Pine. She did the best she could. Yeah, if we had been there, we would have totally protected her. If I had been there, she wouldn't have been standing around in her underwear. I would have been like, here's an apron. And we're back. Well, <laughs> those hemanologians certainly do have a point of view on subject of the episode, huh? Yep. Mm-hmm. In a very manly way. Well, it's, it is manly to take a position and to uh, fight for it. Is fight that, for I think it? they were kind of fighting for something it. Something like that. Who yeah. knows? All right. Um, anyway, guys, what do we think about this? We've heard we've been informed by the hemanologians. I think uh, this whole story is pretty silly. Yeah. yeah. Sure. Yeah, I silly. mean, it's it's ridiculous on 
the first level of we're going to have a movie about a woman pretending to be a man who has a massage parlor and a prostitution ring. It's even sillier on the level of we're going to be upset that we cast a woman to play a woman who's pretending to be a man. Mm -hmm. And then it gets sillier, I think, just on a like a a strategic (laughs) sort of level. If I can if I can say this, if you want people to be sympathetic to transgenderness, then if you take somebody who is widely regarded to be attractive and place them in a transgendered role, and especially a movie like this with a title like it has, which we're not going to say, mm. certain people are going to go see this movie right? in order to see things. Mm-hmm. And they're going to be softened up to the transgender agenda. Kind of shot themselves in the foot with that. Like, okay, if you don't know this reference, it's you're a better person, but I bet a lot of people from my generation remember a poster that became very iconic in my childhood, which was of two lesbians lying in bed together kissing or something like that. And I remember that being the first time that I ever saw anything homosexual explicitly sort of portrayed in pop culture. It was striking because it was these two cute girls, and there's a lot of ways that you could choose to portray homosexuality, but... If you eroticize it in a way... That could be that normal cis dudes kind of find could find attractive mm. and appealing. Then suddenly, boom! You've moved the ball down the down the field. You've moved the line. And this would have been a good opportunity, actually, for them strategically to move the ball down the line by casting a very attractive, popular actress, a list superstar, the a list superstar of our time, probably. I can't think of anyone that's more of that's a star. bigger, more universally. They bullied her right out of it. Yeah, so it's silly and uh, not to mention oppressive to us and to our... Oh, my oh. stars. What do you know? Not really surprised. It's... Are you not surprised? Well, I'm surprised no. every single time. I know. That's why I... every episode. You always hear me say something like, oh, my stars or oh, my goodness, because... It's like, I wasn't expecting that. And as we all know, when I'm not expecting something and then it happens, I say, oh, my stars. That alarm is the devil's advocate's alarm. If our listeners aren't familiar with the devil's advocate alarm, Ben, tell us what they're in for here. Oh, it means that some one of us is going to play the devil's advocate. We're going to argue against what we've just said or argued. So I guess one of us is going to argue, what are we going to argue? That like transgenderism is fine or that we should be, I don't know what we're going to argue. Someone's going to argue something contrary to what we said. Maybe that the movie is good. There maybe we go. that maybe it's that. helpful. Maybe that. Sure. Christians shouldn't be concerned or feel oppressed about it. Maybe, um, maybe, maybe we're just going to argue that you know transgender people at least deserve some like respect and space so that we can oppose them in the correct and compassionate way, and that it is a good thing that they're not allowing a cisgender woman to play someone who identifies as as transgender. That's actually compassion, and we should be okay with that. And this isn't as silly as we just made it out. Maybe someone will argue like that. I, maybe there's a good argument. I don't know. What would you argue if you were going to be the devil, Jake? I have absolutely. No idea how to defend any of this. You're like our <laughs> devil du jour, though. You're supposed to be able to... I know. I normally don't have trouble finding some angle, but I have no idea what... I guess if it really came to it, I would argue that we should be happy that they bullied ScarJo out of... And are going to cast role. someone and they're gonna much cast less somebody. attractive. And I mean, if you go and you look up... Dante Gill. Dante Gill. Which you don't oh, have yeah. to do. Which you don't have I to did. do, but if you did, yeah. my goodness... And so maybe the devil would be like, hey, maybe if they cast somebody that actually looks like Dante Wolf, that's a that's a really good thing. Be, this is less effective. Well, if the devil said that, I'd be like, yeah, I, I agree with you. Yeah, so I, I don't know what... <laughs> okay, so Jake's... Wow, Jake's not going to... I'm out, man. I'm not doing that. I don't know what to do. 
Uh, you got something, Ben, up your sleeve? It's I just gave you shot. my best idea, but yeah. I, I'm not feeling it. I'm not feeling it. It's just, it's. Just we like already took a lot of this down in our revoice gay Christian episode. Yeah, people I mean, can listen to our revoice episode. Or, they can or honestly, they can just go back and listen to the He-Man Illusions over again. Right. The He-Man well, Illusions basically nailed it. I mean, <laughs> <laughs> maybe that was it. It's, I mean, we talked before about how some things aren't really worth dignifying. Yeah, sometimes it's better to just not. Like, let's not dignify that. You guys want to just not have a devil's advocacy sure. in this episode? In this episode. I'm Maybe we that. can just cut out everything that we've done and just air the hemanologians. Yeah. Okay. Kind of like back in Revoice, we talked about at a certain point just airing our pig sketch because that re- that's really all that the Revoice conference deserves. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Well, transgenderism is bad. If you have faith, then you will believe that. If you have faith in biology, even you'll believe that. But certainly if you have faith in God and the scriptures, you'll believe that. And you really won't need us to do a big song and dance about it, I don't think. And there's no there's no sure. need to feel oppressed by this stuff. Yeah, I mean, like, come on. Anyone with eyes can see God made men, God made women. Come on. You just have to hold on to something very simple. Just mm-hmm. don't get used to it. They're just strong arming us. They don't have any actual science on their side, any actual philosophy they don't have anything so just i mean at the end of the day they're going to devour themselves look at this yes they had this big massive fight about whether or not a woman should be allowed to play the role Mm -hmm. of a woman who's pretending in real life to be a man Mm -hmm. and whether or not it should be a woman who's pretending to be a woman pretending to be a man or a woman who's pretending to be a man pretending to be a woman who's pretending to be a man. Like, what in the world? And these, progr- these good progressive liberals themselves. like ScarJo get in trouble and, and alienate them. Yeah, it, it, the snake is eating its tail. It's ridiculous. I remember reading an article a few years ago. I, I, I believe it was in The New Yorker. It was about, I want to say, third wave, you know, really strong feminists who suddenly in their old age had fought all their life for women and for women's rights. women's rights. And then in their old age, they found themselves ostracized and hated by the progressive movement because they believed that there was such a thing as a woman. And they'd been fighting so hard for women. And suddenly it turns out... The, there is no such thing as a woman. Or a woman is a... It's a social, it's a construct, social construct. It's an idea. Actually, there's no such thing as gender. And and, and then these, these feminists felt betrayed. And the article was if just... If there is such a thing as gender, it's certainly not binary. Right, right, right. And it's certainly not tied to biological sex. How backwards these fe- stupid feminists right. are. Right, for them to say, I am binary woman hear me roar. It's like, no, you're not. No. You accept the social construct of woman, and that's probably a bad thing, but you could go ahead you're, and roar. You're actually oppressing so many other minorities. But so it really does. It's, it's like the French Revolution where all the people started the thing, ended up getting the guillotined, and it just was a wash in blood, and everyone ended up dying, and the guy that invented the guillotine got guillotined. I don't know if that's actually true, but you get my metaphor. It's just, it's, it's eating itself, like Jake said. So it's silly. No need to be intimidated by it. Yep. Anything else to say, guys? No. Nope. All right, this is a really short episode. Good. All right, cool. Great. Well, I, I, have, I have stuff to do. Okay. So if we're done, we're good? Yeah, Ben, I, I released the... Peace out, All right, man. Yeah. All right. Peace Just out. Have a good afternoon. Thanks, guys. Yeah, peace. All right, see you guys later. See you, man. Adios. Bye-bye. All right, Jake, uh, you want to get a malted at Dinky's Diner? I could be down for that. I could also be down for heading over to Hrothgar's. You know, that's actually a much better idea. We should... Is that... Who is that? Is that Ollie? Hey. hey. Oh, Ollie. Hey, it's Ollie. Me. Ollie, yeah. it's you. Uh, yeah. You guys, you aren't too busy right now, are you? No, we just finished an episode. Oh, okay. All right. Well, uh, I want some advice, actually, from you guys, if you have a minute. Um, sure, Ollie. Yeah, go. Well, 
there's this girl. See, <laughs> you've come to the right place, my friend. Good, because I've been thinking about her a lot, and I like her, and I don't know what to say to her. I don't know how to be a man. I feel like, you know, I, I got to ask her out, but then I think, well, I'm not making enough money to marry her right now. And Ollie, then you I, work I like think... 50 jobs, buddy. <laughs> you work like every well, job in yeah, Sanityville. Yeah, I, I mean, I'm not exactly making six figures, you know, and I, I want to be, be able making to give... six figures. <laughs> six figures well, is a pretty high standard for a single young man. I, it just seems reasonable. Dick's you know, got I... seven kids. I don't make six figures. Yeah. What? Ollie, it would not surprise me as much as you work if you actually make more than I do. That's like okay with your wife and stuff, and you like can still feed your kids and you know what? take them to Disney World and stuff. <laughs> we can't do a lot of things that other people do, but God takes care of us. We have roof over our heads. We have food on the table. We got love in our hearts. Oh, that's, a roof sounds food okay. And love. It's you're, not you're like made. Disney World is my favorite thing, but I've seen a lot of movies and I've seen what the guy has to do to get the girl. And sometimes it's crazy and it takes a lot of money and you stuff know, to impress her enough. I've got an idea, Jake. Why yeah. don't we? Because we just had a conversation yesterday with enough. Mr. Aaron Wren. Aaron Wren. Of the masculinist fame. He's got yeah. the. He's got that newsletter. The yeah, he's got the, the monthly email newsletter. People yeah. can sign up for. We had a little conversation with him, which I think might provide some clues for young Ollie here. Oh, well, great. I, I've never heard of Mr. Wren, but if you think it'd be helpful, I'd be glad to give it a listen. Yeah, he's got some real wisdom. Let, let me play this. It's about uh, 20 minutes, and uh, we'll, we'll talk about it, okay? That sounds good. All right. Jake, could you hit the, the button over there? Sure thing. So we've got our friend Aaron Wren here with us. And Aaron, you write for a little publication called The Masculinist. True or false? That's true. And tell, tell us about The Masculinist. What is this, this thing? The Masculinist is a monthly email newsletter about the intersection of masculinity and Christianity. The intersection of masculinity yes. and Christianity. Yes. And so uh, I was motivated by, by a few things to start it. One is there's been a lot of uh, writing just in general about our, our uh, culture and about how men are sort of falling behind. For example, about 60% of college students now are women. Mm -hmm. So men are not going to school. Uh, there's also been this phenomenon of, of the rise of people that they call neats neither in education, employment, or training, which are basically prime working age men who aren't doing anything. Hmm. They're, you know, proverbially sitting around in mom's basement sure. playing video games. They're not preparing themselves to be essentially productive members of society. Through my professional work, which is in urban policy and economic development, I saw that a lot of the challenges of uh, these working class communities that got so much uh, press uh, during the Trump election were really... Uh, not all really economic. Yes, there's an economic development to it, but there's also essentially a social and even a spiritual nature to it. When you have rampant out of wedlock births, broken homes, et cetera, you know, that's just not an environment that's ever going to be conducive to success. Huge drug problems with opioids, et cetera. So there's that kind of a problem. And then the other thing was essentially the longstanding problem of the church essentially likewise failing to reach men. Mm -hmm. And, you know, again, the, the, the stats vary depending on what you look at. 55 to 60% female skew uh, in church. There's always been a lot of frustration, particularly single men often don't come to church. Uh, and so what's going on with that? I think something like 20, 25% of you know, married women are attending church without their husbands. That that was the other motivation. And, and I thought, well, the answer to a lot of this is, 
to be found in the church, but the church is not reaching men. They've made many attempts to do so or, or, or speak relevantly to the, in, in, uh, the issues, but there's been so many kind of high-profile failures. And frankly, I just saw a lot of bad information being given out. Mm-hmm. And so what's a, what's just, an example of bad information? I mean, the classic example to me is the, this concept of servant leadership. Mm-hmm. It's like, uh, I want to be a servant. First off, the word servant leader doesn't appear in the Bible. I'm not going to debate it theologically. I, I don't claim to be a theologian, and I generally don't make any theological arguments in this newsletter. But Matt Chandler of the Village Church in Dallas has this great line. He's like, I keep saying it, godliness is sexy to godly people. And the idea is that women are attracted to servant leader men. They're attracted to these men who are on fire for God, kind, you know, gentle, hardworking, great dads, all that stuff. Well, uh, I'm not saying that that's not important. Obviously, godliness is the most important thing. Sure. But those things are not what attract women. I mean, women are attracted by, you know, power and status, confidence and charisma, good looks, you know, resources like money. Even Chandler himself noted that. He wrote a book called Mingling of Souls, and he tells about how he was a college student leading a Bible study of something like a thousand people in it. And these women would essentially be throwing themselves at him. And, of course, he's an attractive, charismatic guy who's leading a thousand-person Bible study. I mean, just think about it in, in terms of churches. What groups of people are, are like more likely to have affairs in the church? Is it pastors, music leaders, and youth leaders? Or is it the ushers, the janitors, and the groundkeepers? Right. right. I think we see that apart from how godly people are, you know, that sort of like higher status occupations attract. So, in, you know, there's a lot that goes into attraction. People conflate what drives attraction with what drives making someone a high quality husband. There are many people that we could be attracted to that would be very terrible spouses. Nevertheless, you know, attraction is sort of an orthogonal characteristic at some level when it comes down to it. And so I think you're trying to attract, a lot of them basically come down and say, you know, you should essentially try to attract a woman by being a really nice guy. Right. And that just doesn't work, I think, as, as anybody could tell you. Nice guys finish last, in a sense. <laughs> and and niceness, niceness is not a fruit of the Spirit or a biblical virtue. True enough. Mm. <laughs> so is it does a large part of the masculinist actually deal with the laws of attraction then? Is that what we're talking about? Well, mostly? I alternate between two kinds, roughly alternate between two kinds of posts. One is what I call cultural critique. And the other uh, I call news you can use. And mm-hmm. so uh, cultural critique, I, I did just finish a four-part series sort of breaking down attraction and talking about it and, and you know, what are the factors that go into attraction? You know, a lot of that I drove out of uh, social science literature and, and a lot of secular sources just talking about here's basically what's been established through research as, as to what's going on. So I do some of that. Um, I've also examined in that some of the, you know, as I, some of the failures that have happened in the church, such as uh, purity culture, I think today was, it was so huge. And I think today purity culture is essentially, you know, recognized to be essentially a mistake mm-hmm. or the ministry of, say, Mark Driscoll, mm-hmm. which, which imploded. And then news you can use, I, I think there's, you know, one of the things I saw is it's very easy to be a critic. I wanted to make sure I had plenty of posts that actually gave positive things you know, I, I, I don't want to just have a purely negative agenda. I want to have a positive agenda to build people up. I'm not here to tear people down or just start praying, spraying rhetorical bullets at different pastors I don't like. And so I go through things like, how do you improve your posture? Things like that. How do you become more confident? I, I have a bunch of drills you can use to help improve your eye contact. You know, how do you make better eye contact? Talk about like how you can avoid, you know, unnecessary apologies. So I, I, I really want to look at you know, how you should make a, a habit of 
acquiring new skills over the course of your life and some of the rules that I've done with that. Morning routines, how to establish a regular prayer life. Morning routines and integrating triggers for like prayers and other things mm-hmm. through the physical routine I use in the morning, like brushing your teeth. Everybody brushes their teeth in the morning. Could you make brushing your teeth sort of a trigger to remember that you should be praying in the morning and then having kind of a, a thing that you go through? Mm-hmm. And it's interesting. I, I send this stuff out and then people send me replies. And one of them was a very interesting one out of Japan about how they've done the same thing for rail safety. And like the engineers, like they huh. point at a spot on the wall to like trigger like I know that I do these physical routines if you integrate with a physical pattern of behavior it it triggers mental associations sure they even do this in New York City every time the train stops in a subway station the conductor is supposed to point at a little board that they put that's got this black and white hashed pattern on it and it's his trigger to like say everything is aligned properly for me to open the doors and stuff like that so little triggers like that so I want to just I want to give people even with even with the cultural critique I don't don't just slam people I want to give like here's how I'm not going to tell you that you're just wrong on attraction here's what's right about attraction so I want to build it up I want to build it up and not just again tear down so I feel like having a positive a lot of positive posts a lot of positive practical actionable Mm -hmm. things that people can take is very important because there's there's so much criticism out there in the world today. Now, a lot of Christians are frightened of self-improvement literature, of social science. It sounds like, from what I'm hearing, you are not. It, it, it kind of depends on what it is. Let's just take Jordan Peterson. Mm-hmm. Talk That's about where I was going to go. Yeah. Literature, Jordan Peterson. I read Jordan Peterson's book, and, and uh, I actually wrote a... Uh, a piece for a website called Mere Orthodoxy about it. It's called yeah. Jordan Peterson's Folk Wisdom, uh, which you can look up. And I was really struck when I read the 12 rules, like how much of this stuff was just basic common sense stuff your dad or your granddad would have told you back in the day. Stand up straight with your shoulders back is one of his rules. That's not exactly groundbreaking advice. right? And so I feel like in a sense, we have as a society have stopped transmitting kind of that type of wisdom to our sons and to people. And so a guy like Jordan Peterson comes along and he he delivers kind of what I just consider very basic stuff. You know, he talks about like, you know, women aren't attracted to nice guys. They're attracted to men who win status competitions with other men. Right. Are you going to hear that in church? No, but that's something that like any guy could have told you like a generation or two ago. That stuff I think is pretty good. You know, it's not scripture. It's not science. It's you know, there's this whole other zone of truth. I think a lot of times today, this is a very common hermeneutic that's used today by pastors. Basically, there's there's sort of this dichotomy. There's scripture, and then there's culture. Mm-hmm. And if it's not in scripture, then it's culture, which means it's essentially all rel- it's relativism about everything except what's in the Bible. Mm-hmm. And usually, the implication of that is, well, there's no reason why we can't adopt what the current culture does because it's just culture after all. It's not like grounded in biblical truth. Then they might make an exception for like hard science or something like that. I think most pastors today are pretty pro-science, but ultimately there's a lot of truth. I mean, go to The Joy of Cooking. There's a lot of truth in that book about how to fry an egg, how to make a casserole, Mm. how to cook a steak on a grill. There's a lot of things that are true that are not in the Bible and not in science. Nobody should equate them with scripture or with physics, but they are important things. That was another reason, the self-improvement literature is one of the biggest reasons that I was sort of motivated to, to go do this. The other kind of motivation that was very big for me was I see guys like Jordan Peterson, and believe me, I got, I think Jordan Peterson's not good in a very important way because he's, mm-hmm. he's not a Christian. His metaphysics are bad. A lot of the big issues, Jordan Peterson is wrong. Right. So his being right 
on all this conventional wisdom stuff is essentially like the gateway drug to his bad thinking on other things. Mm-hmm. Right. And that, why, that, I think, is why a lot of these young guys got sucked into the alt-right as well. The alt-right people would, would give a lot of stuff around women, some of which was actually true. Mm-hmm. And then they start, they start it's like when, when you've been told by your pastor your whole life, Right, that, you know, you need to be a servant leader to attract women. And then some secular pickup artist gives you some line, this, whoa, this works. It, it, it's terrible because then you get sucked into a life of evil instead of good. So I said, Jordan Peterson is exactly why we need to be in the game as the church on this stuff, because he's going to lead people off away from Christ. He's going to lead them in a very bad direction yep. spiritually because he's telling them, I mean, banal truths that, that like I mean there's no there's no genius behind you know essentially you know stand up straight with your shoulders back you know set your own house clean your room mm-hmm. right right I mean come on it's like the same sort of stuff anybody could have told you that I even draw the the comparison this this Navy rear admiral had a famous commencement speech or admiral was a Navy SEAL admiral make your bed he even turned it into a book it was a viral video that like millions of, of people said. And so all these guys who are out there, these self-improvement guys, the gym bros, all of them, there's like a vast array of different categories of people. You know, I think we have to be realize, okay, there actually are some things that we need to know about things like that. Because if we're not, if we're giving people essentially bad, bad advice and they go get some good advice on something that's eminently practical, that's going to credentialize a lot of very, very, very toxic thinking. Yep. And and I think that's bad. And it's kind of sad. You you see men who are hungry for, you know, masculine role models and like self-help dispensers. That's why guys like Peterson have massive followings. Absolutely. I'm like, it's kind of sad that nobody in, in a Christian person mm-hmm. hasn't been able to carve out a a place like that. Now, I don't intend to be Jordan, the Jordan Peterson of Christianity mm-hmm. by any means, uh, but I think we have to be in the game. We're not even in the game on it. Well, as we look at getting in the game and as we look at these other sources, people, men like Peterson, how do we choose who to trust and what to trust about what they say well it's it's how do you choose well it's it's challenging i will tell you this it's a very challenging thing i tend to be deeply suspect of novelty and so i think the first source of truth has to be obviously the bible and scripture i do put a very high degree of deference to the pastors of my church you know they're the authorities who are in charge of interpreting scripture of course you got to find a good church good in the first church place and good pastors yep you know and and i also I, I apply a few principles on this i say one i just ask myself essentially a three-part test one is what i call the catholicity principle what does the totality of scripture say on a particular point how has the entirety of the church interpreted this scripture over the life of church history? So mm-hmm. especially saying it's like, let's not just cherry pick verses. What's the whole Bible say? And then what is the church taught on this collectively over time? I think that's one. Secondly, I apply a principle called the origin test. I'm like, where did this thinking I'm hearing originate? Did it originate, uh, especially when I'm assessing Christian doctrine, did this originate in the church or actually did it originate in the secular world and now we're just hearing sort of a sacralized version of it? A lot of times today, the thinking originates in the secular world. Uh, originates in the secular world. And then the third one I did is, what's the fruit that it's bearing? Mm-hmm. Right. Is it making people more godly? Is it strengthening our commitment to Christ? Or is or, or is it taking in a very negative direction? So that's how I look at Scripture. Basically, you know, everything else, I think, has to be judged relative to two things. One, does it work? Is it accurate? And secondly, you know, is it consistent with the Bible in terms of how God has told us to live our lives and the kinds of people we, sh- we should be? If someone is a non-Christian thinker, then I, I 
I try to be very skeptical about their metaphysics, their ethics, things like that, and tend to focus more on the the practicalities of what they're telling me. And then I say, how could I, it's like Robert Cialdini, he wrote this book called uh, Influence, The Science of Persuasion. He talks about how to influence people. It's things like social proof and authority and reciprocity and all of these techniques. And so I can understand all those techniques and what drives persuasion, but how I actually use persuasion techniques, how I apply that information has to be done in a biblical way. It can't be done for Sammy scales, sales reasons. It has to be used in the service of warranting and, and selling things that are actually true and will actually be loving to other people. So I, I try to distinguish between what's true, right, and kind of what's factually true and what's a technique, and then how does that get applied in a Christian context or simply not applied in a Christian. There, there are a lot of things that I'm deeply troubled that they work but I'm not comfortable using them uh, in, in terms of this. I think, for example, Donald Trump, he understands persuasion very, very, very well. One of the things that he's done is essentially to essentially ridicule and delegitimize and tear down the brands of his opponents like the media. And so if I had an opponent, an intellectual opponent in the church, who's someone who's saying things about, let's just pick Matt Chandler, for example. Sure. Well, then the, the what, maybe an effective way to critique Matt Chandler's teaching, find a way to reduce Matt, ridicule Matt Chandler, kind of make him look like a buffoon. I can recognize the effectiveness of that technique is one I have not chosen to employ uh, because I'm not confident that I could do it in a biblical way or, or a way that would be consistent with a Christian way. On the other hand, Jordan Peterson's been very successful, and I think mostly his techniques, uh, I think, have been fairly appropriate. What's been the most surprising yes. thing that you've found as you've embraced different principles, as you've looked into masculinity, as you've embraced your own masculinity? What what has surprised you? <laughs> you know, it, you know, it's very interesting. I mean, I would say I went through a, a period where, like, I mean, it's like I, I eventually accumulated so much damage from failed relationships. I finally just realized, like, the common factor in all this is me. After essentially rebuilding the way that I operated you know, as a man, I found that actually my relationships with women were a not just more successful, but they were healthier. Mm -hmm. Like it's like not even that it's you know it doesn't mean that every person I went out on a date with you know that that worked out. No, but ultimately I you know I did get married. I think that things were there. It was just, it was just a healthy healthier way to go about it. You know, I personally know this stuff on attractions too because it was right because I've seen how it works in me. It's like mm -hmm. once I understand right, like actually like. Women liked me a lot better. <laughs> so it's like, it's predictive. I can say, if you do this, well, then, you know, people like, and the other things, like a lot of it's changed me physically. You know, I, I, I went, I was a lifelong runner and I became much more into weightlifting. Yeah. But one of the, one of the things that came out of studying some of that stuff around physical self-improvement was essentially the accidental discovery that I had been deficient in magnesium my entire life. And one of the uh, results of that is that I essentially had suffered from a low-grade depression my entire adult life and had not known it. Mm -hmm. uh, I, I'm wearing glasses, and my, I'm, I'm 20, 40, 20, 50. And if I take my glasses off, I don't have a, a restriction on my on my driver's license. I can drive without glasses. I can function. I we can, we can have this conversation. But imagine going through life thinking everybody saw like this. Right. And then all of a sudden, you put on your, your glasses, and everything's just sharp. Mm -hmm. And all of a sudden, it just becomes sharp. And so that's kind of what it was. I went from being essentially a glass half empty to a glass half full guy. The guy who who supplement guide helped me to find out that, you know, magnesium is something essentially almost all American adults are deficient in and the kind of magnesium I should take, which is magnesium citrate. I take 400 milligrams a day. So those are the little things like that's that's the sort of like revolutionary things that have occurred in a lot of it. 
And so it's definitely had a very positive influence on my life in terms of just being physically healthier, mentally, emotionally healthier, and then just relationally healthier. You know, not all of that's due to self-improvement. A lot of it's, you know, due to obviously the work of the Holy Spirit, the mortification of sin, if you will, over the course of those years when I was becoming, things were going very poorly for me for for a period of time. And, you know, really, ultimately, although I don't know how I managed to do that, that's why I say I attribute it to God. This is my my Calvinism by experience is, um, you know, just double down, double down on faith and really, you know, purge a lot of sin out of my life. So that probably had the greatest impact. I almost felt like with things like magnesium or like understanding attraction better is almost as if God were saying, Aaron, let me show you the answer to questions you don't even know that you were supposed to be asking. It's like Rumsfeld's unknown unknowns. There are things you didn't know you didn't know. And what I realize is, I think it started maybe with the baby boomers or even with their parents. This idea that like your father passed down all this knowledge, taught, essentially taught you how to be a man or how to do anything. Right. My, my dad could build a house with his hands completely by himself. And I can't, I, mean, I can barely change the light bulb. Right. How is it that I did not learn from my father um, mm-hmm. that now for his, I understand why it happened for him because working with his father was a very, very uh, mean person who forced him. He hated working with his father. He, he said to himself, I will never treat my children the way my father treated me, maybe overcompensated. But uh, I do think there's this like, this like breaking of the chain of transmission from father to son. Yeah. And so, or, you know, so I think as, as men, when we learn things, we have some obligation to make what we've learned. No, not just to hoard the knowledge, but to share it with others. Because the goal is not just for me to become great using secret knowledge or whatever. It's to help build other people up. I want to build other people up. I want to see men perform better in society. Um, I want to see the church do a better job at reaching men. That's sort of my my motivation. I think it's something that we need to be consciously thinking about about doing because you can believe the the gym bros and the supplement sellers and the Jordan Petersons are out there flogging their stuff every single Mm -hmm. day. Mm -hmm. What is the number one piece of advice that you would give to a young man who's listening right now? I, I would say my, my best piece of advice actually comes from John Owen, out of mortification of sin. There were two, he had essentially two prerequisites that you had to meet before you could even attempt mortifying any sin. One of them was conversion. If you're not a Christian, then you're never going to mortify any sin. The second one is you have to be in the pursuit of universal obedience to God. He's like, if you, you, you've got this sin that's causing you a problem and you're trying to deal with it, and let's say you're a young man, you're trying to, to break a porn habit. Let's just say you're trying to do that. But, you know, you're not praying or you've got all these other things, but you're not really like too concerned about them. Mm-hmm. You're only concerned about your porn habit because you find it embarrassing. You don't like being controlled by it. You know, it's inconvenient to you. And John Owen would say, well, what about all these other things? Mm-hmm. God God hates them too, but they're not bothering you nearly as much. So don't expect help from God over here if, you know, you're not over here. So I like that principle. I think this principle, we need to be all in on Christ and we need to be doing it. It's like Jesus said in, in the uh, Sermon on the Mount, the person who hears my words and does them mm-hmm. is the person whose house is going to survive the flood. And there are a lot of people who have never experienced the flood, but believe me, Believe me, at some point, we're all going to have that flood. And if we're not actually in obedience to the commands of Christ, I think we might find that our house is built. We are built on a house of sand. All right. And there you go, Ollie. Problem solved, right? Well, I mean, sure. Uh, yeah. 
I, it gave me some good stuff to think about. It really did, Mr. Albertson. I, but I, well, I still don't know what to say to the girl I like. I, I did learn one thing, though. I learned that I should go online and subscribe to the masculinists. Well, of course, Ollie. Everybody has to do that. Especially dudes. You just go to urbanafile.com forward slash the masculinist. You sign yourself right up. Oh, okay. Here, I'm finding it right now. So let's see. That's U-R-B-A-N-O-P. H-I-L-E dot com. And then a forward slash, not a backslash, a forward, forward slash. slash M-A-S-C-U-L-I-N-I-S-T. That's right, Ollie. Urbanafile.com forward slash masculinist. All right. Wow. Well, thanks. But like I said, I could still use some kind of practical piece of wisdom. Well, there's one thing that you definitely have to do. One special thing that if you do it everything will work out to your heart's desire there's one thing and jake's gonna tell you what that is <laughs> that sounds great what you is know it? uh you're you're a good guy you love god and you love people and what you really need to do is just have the guts to go ask her that's all it oh. may not as nathan said work out to your heart's content but there's only one way to to i mean you like the girl uh yeah yeah you a wanna, lot you're interested in yeah uh, yeah well there's only one way for you to uh get on a date with her and uh, see if things can work out and that's to ask oh that sounds kind of terrifying but that is helpful thanks yeah good luck man now this girl is i bet i know who it is <laughs> who's that is that charlotte dumpster fire from uh dinky's diner charlotte dumpster fire say it ain't so i i don't know I don't know what kind of a girl. What are Ollie you guys is. saying over there? Ollie's got better taste than that. You think he's got? Okay. All right. Well, uh, anything else we can do for you, Ollie? Uh, no, thanks. That's that's. This has been really helpful. All right. Well, hang in there one more second, Ollie, while I wrap the show up because it turns out we're still recording and I need to say goodbye oh. to our listeners. So say goodbye to our listeners, uh, Ollie. Okay. Uh, bye. Bye, listeners. And say goodbye to our listeners, Jake. Goodbye. All right, listeners. Well, that's our show. Hey, let's check in one more time with the He-Manologians, see what they're up to as we close things out. Welcome back to He-Manologians. Man, that Aaron Wren. I would not Want to watch a movie with him? It'd be like three seconds long, no matter what. Like if uh, he had to fight the Nazis in his underwear? Three seconds. Or if he like, had to fight the Yakuza and end them forever? Three seconds. Did you guys hear that the moon was dislodged from its regular orbit? What? Aaron Wren sneezed. Ha, ha, ha. Did you guys hear about the magnitude 8 earthquake in Japan? Uh, no. Aaron Wren decided to do some push-ups while he was there. <laughs> Wait. Is this Aaron Wren anything like Chuck Norris? Oh, you mean that guy whose head's hanging in Wren's trophy room? <gasps> Booyah! Sound of Sanity was engineered by Benjamin Solzer, produced by Nathan Alverson, executive produced by Jacob Menzel and Nathan Alverson. Hey folks, until next time, stay sane. <laughs>